You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. Lord, thank you um, that we are that you are here with us. We don't have to invite you into this space. You are already here. You are with us, waking us up, giving us our breath when we get out of bed this morning, giving us purpose today, reminding us again that we belong to you, that we belong to you by, by grace, because of the finished work of your son, Jesus, that we, if we are in Christ, that we are filled with your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you help us to not just read words on a page or listen to words in a sermon that from your word as it's read aloud, but you actually give us insight and understanding. You, you cause those words to do things in us, to make changes to our thinking, to our desires, to our feelings, um, to our hopes and longings. So would you do that again this morning as you do? Would you use your word and use me as just a, a, a tool to communicate your word um, well this morning. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be shaped. We want to be yours. So help us again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, we, just to say, we're doing this series not because we love to talk about controversial things, but because we need to. We need to address some of these things. Um, again, not just trying to keep up with the headlines, but really, we are, I, when I'm talking and I'm preparing these messages, I'm preparing these messages for us. I'm not preparing them. I'm not talking to the people who aren't here. Uh, I'm talking to us. And I, I just want you, to, I w- I want you to know that and hear that as I, as I share these things this morning. Because this topic in particular, sometimes in the church, we get this a bit muddled up. We get it a bit wrong. We, we, we end up talking again to the people who aren't in the room when we should be talking to the people who are. Um, the next two weeks, really, so this is, this is almost like a part one, part two. We're going to be talking about our bodies, what God has to say about our bodies and sexuality in general, and then what difference the gospel makes for men and women like us who live in physical bodies. Now, when it comes to talking about our bodies and sexuality, there are like two mistakes we make. I alluded to the first one. Mistake number one is that we don't want to be uh, controversial or it's a bit embarrassing, so we don't talk about it really at all. But then we come to places like the passage we're going to look at in a minute, 1 Corinthians 6 and John's writings, and there's all this talk about our bodies, our flesh, as Paul, the word he often uses. And it's crucial to who we are as people. Our bodies are crucial to our relationship with God and one another, so we can't just ignore it. We can't just not talk about sex because it's a bit embarrassing or awkward. We've got to talk about it. The second fear, I think, that some of us have is that we don't want to talk about it because we might hurt people, we might offend people, we know people, some of, whether it's us or other people in our families, for for whom this is a really sensitive issue. And so we're like, I don't know what to say because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend someone. But what I want to hopefully get across to us today is that when you look at the whole picture of what the Bible says about sex and about our bodies, the story that God is telling, the story that God is telling with your body and our sexuality as people is a much better story. It's a more hopeful story. It's a more beautiful story 
than all of the stories that are being told right now in our culture, just on the street and in, in movies and TV and in schools and on social media. It's a beautiful story. And so we want to approach this topic with grace, humility, giving honor where honor is due. And so it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a tough one. Sam Albury, a guy who, a Bible teacher who I really, really appreciate, has just written a book entitled What God Says About Our Bodies. Um, it's been really helpful in this preparing this message. And next week, I'll put it up in the resource list that I've been sending out uh, on Slack. Um, if you're not on Slack and you're not getting those resource lists and you would like them, please come talk to me and I can get you connected to those. Because we, we just linked to some podcasts and some books that might be helpful if you want to do a bit more reading and thinking on these issues. Um, so he says this. Um, he says, this is why we find this topic overwhelming. Largely, it's because we are hardwired to feel a sense of vulnerability when it comes to our own bodies. And so when we're talking about this in light of other people, it makes it even more difficult. Um, but think about back to Genesis. I always go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned against God. And they had, right in the aftermath, they tried to do what? They felt shame about their physical bodies, and they tried to cover themselves. But the very first act and sign of redemption, that's exactly what God does. He kills an animal and he covers them properly. So God understands. If you feel vulnerable in this topic, if it feels awkward, God knows and understands that the, like, stuff, this, the shame and things we deal with is really real. And so, again, we want to approach this topic this morning with a lot of love, grace, humility. Um, Aubrey, again, he, he lays out two approaches to our bodies that we see around us, even inside uh, the church. Approach number one is we can come to treat our physical bodies like they don't really matter. It's not the real me. The real me is what's on the inside. It's who I discover through a process of um, just, you know, deep thinking or insight from other people. Um, the, my body then is kind of like a canvas. It's a blank canvas on which I can paint my own identity once I've discovered it. Um, I can change everything, absolutely everything about my appearance, even now, even my own gender, to better express who I believe myself to be. Um, even among Christians, you see a little bit of a reflection of th this way of thinking of the body as disposable. Um, it's the part of you that gets shucked off when you die. Uh, you know, it's not the real you. It's like, you know, if you picture the, if you've ever watched a rocket launch into the sky and they have those boosters that once they get to a certain altitude, they just drop off. And a lot of people think of that's, that's what our bodies are. The real you is your soul. It's inside of you. It's the part that's eternal and your body's just kind of temporary. Um, that's not actually what the Bible says about our bodies, and we'll get there in a minute. Um, approach number two if some people treat the body as kind of disposable, as just a tool or an accessory, approach number two is that we treat our bodies not like they're nothing, but like they're everything. The, the, your body is everything about you. It's the only thing that's real. So we eat, we, we drink, we experience pleasure and pain in our bodies, and then we die, and that's it. Um, it's a lot of pressure that we put on our, our, ourselves and our physical body and our health. And so we stress about it, we shred, we Google, we diet, and all this trouble comes when the body that we have, the one body that we have, lets us down. But here's the good news and the better story of our bodies and the, the one that God tells us in the Bible and the gospel is that they aren't nothing. Your, your body is the real you. 
fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who loves you. But your body isn't everything either. It's not nothing, but it's not everything. Uh, for Christians, our, our failing bodies, and all of our bodies will fail us at some point, even if it's just seconds before you see Jesus, your, your body is one day going to be redeemed and transformed. It's the, the current body you inhabit is temporary, but one day it will be redeemed, made whole. Your new body will be pain-free, symptom-free, fully embraced by the real embodied arms of King Jesus. But what does that have to do now with sex? We're going to look at one of the key texts in the Bible about our bodies and sex. Um, it's in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6. And as we do, my prayer is that you'll see this gospel story that's being told by your body. The goodness of sex in marriage, the goodness of abstinence outside of marriage, and why those stories are better than the stories that the world is telling, are telling us every day. Um, one of the great truths that we try to hammer home a lot here, almost every week, I think, is this idea about um, what God does in you, what Christ has done in you, is what leads to change. It's the work of God that comes before the fruit of the Spirit. Another way of saying it is gospel conversion comes before gospel conduct. And when, whenever we're talking about sexuality, we re, you really need to have that in the front of your mind. Because what you don't want to do is then when you're in a conversation with other people, or even just for you know, yourself, thinking that what really needs to happen is you need to get your conduct in line with what God expects of you, and then he will approve of you. But if you read scripture carefully over and over again, it is the work of the Spirit in you that comes before any kind of visible change to your desires, to your conduct. Here's the approach of the gospel. Okay? It is not that God loved you and saved you because of your good behavior or your good intentions to really get your life together and really live for God. When we hear people, we talk this way, we hear people talk this way all the time. Even people who know the gospel, you know the whole, Jesus died for my sins, and yet it's like, but, but then it's, you can't get away from this. I really, really am going to live for God this year, and then he'll really love me. And we think like that. But that's not your story. It's not my story. The story of the gospel is that you are made a son or a daughter of King Jesus, not on the basis of anything that you've done, but on the basis of his death, his burial, and his risen, victorious life. That is the basis of your acceptance. That is the basis of your identity. It's who you are. And con changed desires, changed conducts flows out of the work of God in you. The good news of the gospel is that while you were still a sinner, you were still wanting sinful things, you were still falling short in every measure, Christ, your king, died for you. We're going to talk about conduct today, but we have to start here because, again, so many people out there reject Christianity because they think Christianity is just about getting your life together. But that's not the gospel. No one anywhere has what it takes to get their life together and to approach God except Jesus, the spotless lamb, who became sin for you, that you might become 
the righteousness of God. In the passage today, 1 Corinthians 6, it's one that often is used in a particular way um, to prove, if you like, or show people what the Bible says about sex. It's just to, to lay down the law of, okay, here's the kind of sex that's okay, here's the kind that's not okay. But if you read this passage carefully in conduct, the, 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 the boundaries are there. The boundaries are there. But there's something beautiful that we often miss in this text. So let me, let me read it, and you'll hear the boundaries first. But then listen to what comes after this. This is verse 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Paul writes, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, verses 9 and 10, you get this sort of laundry list of things that we might call bad behavior, or things that are out of bounds. So what's in the list? All sexual immorality. It's, a, it's an umbrella term that includes everything that is except for what God says is the proper place for sex within a marriage. Um, he lists specifically uh, homosexual behavior, the implication that together with an explicit mention of Romans 1 applies to both men and women. Um, adultery is obviously out of bounds. Um, but if you read that together with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that anyone who even lusts after someone they are not married to in their own heart has committed adultery. So it's a very broad list that includes all of us. This list isn't meant to single out particular people or particular groups of people and pick on them. Um, all sexual immorality is included. The word translated sexual immorality in this list is the word porneia, where we get the word pornography. Um, and it includes, if from Paul's Jewish uh, background and cultural understanding, it's any kind of sex that is not the kind that God designed between a husband and a wife is included in immorality. It includes abuse, harassment. All of that is under this umbrella. Um, when you, he, you know, he's got the whole Old Testament in view. And he says, the people who continually do these things, the people who practice these things, um, under the umbrella of sexual morality, idolatry, greed, abuse, slant, all this stuff, are put in this one category term in verse 9. They are the unrighteous. And he says the unrighteous will receive nothing from God except just judgment. And if all we had was those two verses, verses 9 and 10, it would be hugely bad news, not just for people out there, not just for some people, but for everybody, for all of us. Because nobody is righteous by themselves. No one is sexually pure by themselves. Not even people who have never had a physical encounter are pure by themselves. Because Jesus says purity is a condition of the heart, not simply of the body. So, what is the good news? If you look at verse 11, he says, Some of you used to be like this. What does he mean? For each one of these labels here, a moral idolater, adulterer, abuser. He says, you look around in any local church then and now, and there are people sitting around you. There's us. This is us. This was our story, but we've been changed. 
What changed? Uh, you, you probably know if you've um, ever been a part of the group Alcoholics Anonymous, or if you've at least seen, uh, you know how a little bit how it works, how people introduce themselves. They say, you know, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I am an alcoholic. It, it's a little bit what Paul's getting at here. But he's saying, so just with a slight modification, you know, hi, my name is Tyler, and I used to be a rageaholic, a sex addict, an idolater, but then I was washed, sanctified, made holy, justified, made righteous, not by anything that I did, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by myself, but by the Spirit of God. That is the gospel. Now, that does not mean that once a person is converted, that they magically, instantaneously do not have any struggles or desires for sinful uh, behavior. We'll see this in a moment. We inhabit bodies which God created good, fearfully and wonderfully made, but then we are also broken because of the fall. And that means until we receive our new bodies in the new earth, we will keep struggling against desires of the flesh. Desires that might include a, a quick temper. Desires that might include disordered attractions. Uh, whether same-sex or opposite-sex attractions. Lust for money and power. Paul calls these the desires, sinful desires of the flesh in Romans 8. But one day, your flesh will be completely redeemed and made whole. And the struggle will be over. Not yet. But that day is coming if you are in Christ. And the reason you have a struggle now, the reason I struggle now, isn't because you're, you're weak. It is actually because within you, the Spirit of God within you has given you a desire to please Him and to do what is good and right and beautiful and true. And it's because you have that desire. That's why you struggle. The people who don't struggle with these things are people who are, are being sold the, 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 the line from the world that you, know, that, that you just need to lean in to these desires. You need to make those your, the, the foundation of your identity. Well, there's no struggle in that. The struggle is when the Spirit of God within you, who has sanctified you and washed you and justified you, He is now changing your conduct and helping you become mature and want the things that He wants. So be encouraged to press in to who you are in Christ. Receive His grace and, and mercy again today if you are feeling the weight of that struggle. See, not only does gospel conversion come before gospel conduct, the finished work of King Christ, the gospel, that work is also the fuel for the struggle, the fuel for our fight against sin and sinful desires. It's God's kindness that was new this morning, it will be new tomorrow, new every single morning. It's God's kindness that leads us to change, that leads us to repentance, that leads us to hope. Pressing into the truth of who you are in Christ is how you become more like Christ. I want to say one more thing just before we move on. I said up front that this passage is sometimes kind of, it can be thrown down like a gauntlet saying, okay, well, this is what the Bible says. Homosexuality is clearly a sin. It's clearly wrong. The sex before marriage is clearly a sin. It's clearly wrong. And sometimes saying those things and and. It may be necessary for someone who's just wondering what the Bible actually says. 
But listen, if it's true that gospel conversion comes before gospel conduct, then friends, nobody is ever going to be convinced of the beauty and the truth of the Christian vision for sex and marriage and holiness until the Spirit of God does a work in that person. It is a supernatural act of grace. Um, And I guess to put it in a somewhat crass way, we don't yell at dead people for being dead. We have to be exceedingly gracious and prayerful and dependent on the work of the Spirit of God to do what only He can do in the life of another person. So if you're journeying with someone who's a, a dear loved one through some, any of these things, then please just be encouraged by that and continue to pray. Continue to what we can do, because it's not that we can do nothing. We can continue to be hospitable. We can continue to be available, to listen, to serve, to be generous and kind, and then prayerfully look for opportunities to present that better story of the gospel of grace. We pick people up. That's what we do. We're not there to argue people into anything. We're there to pick people up off the road and then carry them to the one who is the resurrection and the life. That's gospel ministry. Gospel conversion comes before gospel conduct. Now, let's move on in the text because I want to show you what Paul lays out here, that God has a good plan for your body. Starting in verse 12, he says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise, up, raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, the first couple of verses here, verses 12, 13, are a bit tricky uh, to interpret um, because it's like you're listening into one side of a conversation. It's like you're sitting on the bus and someone a couple seats away from you is talking on the phone and they're talking loud enough for you to hear, but you have no idea what's being said on the other side of the line. So it's a little bit, we've got to kind of piece it together, what he's saying. And the translators in this help us because you might notice in verses 12 and 13, you'll see some uh, quotation marks or inverted commas, if you prefer, um, around some of the um, language. One, the first one, verse 12, he says, everything is permissible. And then verse 13, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. You'll notice probably in your translation that there's quotation marks around those things. The reason the quotation marks are there is because these were sayings or slogans or hashtags, if you like, that were being passed around not only in Corinth but also in the Corinthian church. People were just accepting these as sort of cultural realities. And what these hashtags, everything is permissible, food for the stomach, the stomach for food, what they're basically getting at was a culture of saying the body really doesn't matter. Physical material things aren't that important. The real, material, the real me, the real important stuff of life is the stuff you can't see. It's the spiritual realities. And so my body, I can do with it whatever I want because it doesn't do anything to me because the real me is untouchable and invisible. That's kind of what was going on in the culture. And Paul is repeating the lines, repeating the hashtags and slogans that everyone knows, and then he is going to push back against those a little bit. 
So here's what he's, he's doing. Um, he's saying that actually um, your body isn't your own property to just treat and do with whatever you want. There's a, there's a better story. There's a better reality that lie than the hashtags seem to indicate. Paul says, you know, your body actually has a good purpose. It's not just your earth suit that you're going to just, you know, shuck off like snakeskin one day. Your body is, in verse 13, for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The, the one body that you have, fearfully and wonderfully made, is, was made by the Lord for the Lord. And the Lord is the Lord of your body. What does that mean? We'll get there in a minute. But your body is not, is a container. It is a container, not for the real you deep down inside, but your body is actually a container for the spirit of the Lord himself. Look at verse 14. He says, Jesus, who's always existed as the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, on that first Christmas, we know he became flesh. He, he took on a body, and he dwelled among us. He was confined at first to a, a single cell, and then a fetus, a baby, a toddler, a teenager, and then an adult male. And guess what? Jesus, and some of us forget this, is still fully human. He still has fingernails and flesh and hair. And when we are raised to be with him, we will as well. Your future has fingernails. Your future body is perfected, is sinless. It's the sinless version of the body you have now, which means that what you do with your body now is eternally significant. Verses 15 to 17 lay out for us the doctrine we call union with Christ. And this is the, the doctrine of union with Christ is, guys, it is the foundation of everything the Bible says about sex. You have to understand this, um, that we are, when we were converted by Jesus, through the preaching of the gospel, we were joined to his body. Not just spiritually, as in now you belong to the body, the church, but physically. Your physical body is a living, moving, breathing image of King Christ. And so wherever you go with your body, whatever you do with your body, you take Christ with you. If you use your body to deceive or abuse, or slander another person, then you're taking Christ with you in that. If you use your body to sin sexually, you're taking Christ with you in that. I don't know if you can feel the seriousness of that, that when it comes to our, our sexual behavior, it's not the picture of God kind of looking down at us from some distant heaven and, and, and sort of, saying, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it is Christ with you in those moments. The example Paul gives here is, is going and sleeping with a prostitute. Christ doesn't just simply see you and put you on the naughty list in that moment. He is with you in that moment, and he is grieved. Now, let me give you the other side of that coin. What happens when we refuse and resist and flee from sexual immorality. When we, we remember who we are in Christ and who we're becoming, that we're meant to be led by our, not led by our feelings, what happens is the gospel is put on display in your body. In your body. That's the whole point of Christian marriage. 
That's the whole point of Ephesians 5, the one we read at weddings. Sometimes listen to the language. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. That's body language, saying, you know, without spot or wrinkle. Um, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, this is the, the, glor the glorious vision of sex in marriage. Here it is. When a husband and wife come together in a physical union, that union tells the story of the union and love between Christ and his church. It's this self-giving love. That's what makes it glorious and meaningful and beautiful. Of course, it's a joy and a gift, and it's good. But at the heart, it points to something outside of ourselves and, and, and beyond ourselves. And it's the answer to our deepest longings and desires. Not sex itself, but Christ. So in everything your body does, whether in sex if you're married, or delighting in him by abstaining from sex if you're not, Christ is made preeminent in our bodies. God has a good plan for your body, whether you're single or married. Now, I said before, gospel conversion comes before and is the fuel for gospel conduct. When it comes to your body, God has a good eternal plan for you to be joined with Christ and to point to Christ. Finally, in this passage, Paul says, not only does God have a plan for your body, but right now your body is telling a story that's a very specific one, a story of your paternity or your adoption. Let me read just the, the last three verses. Verse 18, Paul writes, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. This is the story of your adoption. It's why sex outside of God's ordained purpose is harmful. It's, it's a form of self-harm. And, and why sex inside those bounds is so sacred. Paul starts with the negative in verse 18. He says, flee sexual immorality. Don't toy with it. Run from it. Flee into the arms of the one who purchased you with his blood. I, I don't know how closely you've been following the story of the news headlines of the war in Ukraine, but occasionally you get these stories of uh, prisoner swap, where one side will have a certain number of, of prisoners that they'll exchange for the same number of prisoners on the other side. Um, unless, though, one of the guys that they're exchanging is like particularly important. He's particularly important to, the, to, the, to his own side. And so maybe that one guy, or sorry, to the opposite side, and maybe so one guy will, ha will count for 10 of the others. Um, Jesus, you see, his worth is so infinite, so infinite that when he offered himself in exchange for your life on the cross, that his life was more than enough to purchase the freedom for everyone who believes. All of you, your body, yourself, was bought 
at a price. The price of your king, the price of our king, the price of the glorious son of God. And Paul says sexual immorality, sexual sin is a sin against the body that he bought. That's why we're told to flee from it. It's a don't be casual or flippant about what Christ has bought. Your body is meant to be glorious because it tells the story of the one who bought you, the one who didn't leave you alone, the one who came to you in your need, in your helpless condition, and raised you up and bought you into his family. So it's the, you know, the body that he bought is the body that you see in the mirror every morning. The one who, if you're married, the one your partner sees, or your future partner. And sex tells this similar story that the one of Christ, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself fully for us. That's the story. You see, casual hookups tell a very different story. Same-sex intercourse tells a different story. Adultery, serial relationships, abuse tell very different stories. They misrepresent who Christ is. Not as one who gave himself that we might be brought into the family, but rather as one who takes advantage or acts casually for his own pleasure. Christian, the story of the gospel is a story of self-giving, constant, always and forever love. Not lusts and flings that come and go. We can be people who come on Sunday morning and, and sing about the deep and abide, abiding love of Jesus, and then we treat our bodies like as a, a sort of a tool for pleasure or self-discovery. But rather, may we, in our sexuality in marriage or in celibacy, may our bodies tell the story of our deep hope in his abiding love for us. Now, I want to make some application to a few different um, groups of people among us, because in, in, you know, in one sense, we're all in the same boat. Our bodies are all made fearfully and wonderfully by the same loving Father. Um, we have the same older brother, Jesus, our Savior, and our bodies are filled, if we're believers, by the same Holy Spirit. Yet not everybody's in the same station in life, so I want to talk about those different stations for a minute. First, to married people. Um, you know, most of what I've said already, it seems like the, you know, the bridge to application is pretty short, um, you know, because we get to celebrate the gift uh, we have in our spouse. Your body matters. Your spouse's body matters. So we get to press into the gift, and we ought to press into the gift of physical intimacy together. And if that is a challenge for you for whatever reason, then I urge you to get the help that you need so that you can grow in glorifying God as you physically enjoy one another. That your, your physical intimacy together tells that story. At the same time, married people, don't neglect deep friendships with people who are, other people who are married, single, younger, older, people who will spur you on to love Jesus well and love your spouse well. Because that story can be told in all kinds of relationships embodied relationships, not just sexual relationships, but embodied friendships. Single people, those of you who are here, thank you so much for being a part of this family. Because generally speaking, you are a bit outnumbered in this. I, I realize that, and, so, and I say that 
because I'm really, really thankful for you. And one of my prayers that I pray often is that God would bless us with just an army of single people who are young, old, passionate, mature, growing, with a real desire to use your life, to use your body, to honor and serve King Jesus. That you would teach us, perhaps, um, through your own experience and perhaps your own unmet longings for intimacy, what it means to put your life, lay your life down before King Jesus because he's so worthy. To those who are here who may be struggling with same-sex attraction, and I say that very specifically, not as a throwaway line. If you believe any of the research that's out there, it's anywhere from 5 to 10% of men and I think 3 to 4% of women, and that includes in the church. This is your story. So I'm not talking about people outside. I'm talking to people in the room. If you're struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, maybe you've never told anyone, but you're here, and you might be married, you might be single, and you want to glorify God, but you're not sure if the gospel is really good news for your body, then can I just urge you to reach out? And, 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 and to me, to others, and to let us listen and come alongside and love well, because we need each other so much to reflect goodness of God as he is redeeming all of our bodies together. My prayer is that this community will always be a safe place where people can speak honestly with, about whatever they happen to be journeying with or struggling with. And if, 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 if you're here and, and, we've, and you're, you, are, you feel that you could never open up that way here, then I just, I, I, I just pray that you would ask or I am asking your forgiveness for having a community that does not feel safe to you because we want to be that space where the gospel grace is on display in the way that we love and care and bear one another's burdens and welcome each other and listen. We need each other to be a whole body and we want to go there with you. We want you to go there with us and we want to glorify him together. Finally, there may be those of you who came in or who not didn't join us today because you're dreading this topic, um, perhaps because of, there's a lot of a weight of guilt and shame for, for whatever reason. Um, can I just say to you again that the gospel says, and I say to you, and we say to you, that God loves you more than you can ever, ever imagine. And then there is grace upon grace upon grace. And even though... It is true for everyone in this room that every cell of our flesh is complicit in the conspiracy against his good plan. Every cell of your body and my body is being and will be fully redeemed. Everything the enemy intended for evil, God will intend for good. He is faithful and just to forgive to wash you, to keep you until your face, your actual face is caught between his actual hands as he welcomes you home. Gospel conversion comes before gospel 
conduct. And, and that's what we want to be about. We want to be living lives that give testimony to the grace that we have received. No matter what our backstory happens to be. No matter what our particular shame happens to be. I want you to know that your conduct, even now, is being shaped, inspired, and cultivated by the master artist. So let's preach the story of the gospel. First and foremost, to ourselves. You know, we talk about, you know, go and share the gospel with your friends. Sometimes the most important person that you need to preach the gospel to is the person in the mirror every single morning. That grace that we talk about, that we sing about, is enough for you. It's enough for me. We are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your body is being gloriously remade in the image of the risen Christ. So let's run from sexual immorality and run hard after Jesus, our pioneer. And let's do that together and see how many people who are fleeing from the sexual revolution around us and really have nowhere to go, how many of them see the story that your body, that your life tells and take notice? So let's glorify God with our bodies. And as he is lifted up, may he draw men and women, not to us, but to Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of the gospel, that we are not the sum of our behavior, of our, our choices, that we are people who have been redeemed by your grace. Our bodies, our souls, everything redeemed and being made new. Thank you that our future hope is, a, is, is a, a resurrection body. Thank you that, Lord, our, our, our hope right now is that we are people as your family. We are sons and daughters with bodies that, that we get to encourage one another physic, by being physically present, that we can hear one another's voices, we can see one another, we can touch one another. Lord, help us to press into the good gift that is the bodies that you've given us. And Lord, for those of us among us who are just really, perhaps, really struggling with the body that they have or struggling with whatever it happens to be, Lord, would you meet them in their need? Would you use us to be people of grace and love and kindness and listening that in everything that we do, Jesus, that you would be big and, and nothing else, that you would receive all the glory in our, in our bodies, in our midst. I pray that as we come to the table now, as we remember your body that was broken so that our broken bodies might be made whole, Lord, you would remind us of the gospel of grace once again. Lord, be glorified as we come and worship you again this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.